The Free For All Roundtable. Round one. On round one, Tamara Cherry is here from Pickup Communications. Matt Gurney, journalist, co-founder of the online magazine called The Line. And Mark Tui is here, advisor to business and political leaders, also in for Jerry Agar today on a day that's, uh, I mean, we're going to start with the premier for Pete's sake at nine o'clock. Well, we hope at 9 o'clock or yeah. shortly thereafter, or I will vamp and do a little tap dance and perhaps rant about a few things until he gets on. And then at 10 o'clock, we will bring you live uh, the unions. I don't think it's not going to be their response to the premier because they announced their press conference first. So we'll be looking to see if they're talking about general strikes. Yes, well, let's begin with the general strike possibility then. It just seems to be murmurings and rumblings right now. Um, But Matt Gurney, it's a little bit ominous to think of, I mean, I've said a couple of times on the show this morning, we've had mostly labor peace. We've had disruptions and stuff on and off and worked rules since I moved to Ontario, but nothing like the chaos of the 1990s. Do you think we're headed back to that? I don't know. I mean, and I know that's a really terrible answer to give to your very important question, but I I just honestly don't know. I mean, one of the things we've seen so far has been a relatively muted response by some of the other unions, and I know that they have have publicly pledged support. Uh, Apparently, CUPE's receiving uh, fiscal support as well, financial support, and that's all interesting, but I think we've been stuck a little bit in a holding pattern while we wait to see what the Labor Board rules. There's been this tribunal that's been reviewing whether or not the uh, the current QP walkout is a legal strike, an illegal strike, whatever. I think everyone's waiting a little bit to see what happens. It's interesting that we're hearing talk, and these are just reports right now, of a big, big rally at Queen's Park coming up next Saturday and the possibility of some kind of general strike on Monday. On the one hand, okay, yeah, that's it takes time to organize these things. On the other hand, though, like this has kind of left QP out there alone for about 10 days here. So I don't honestly know what to read of that. Are we looking at other unions being wary of jumping in? Or is that just the lag time it takes to get organized? I honestly don't know. Well, Tamara Cherry, unions are necessarily obsessed with all things unions. So I think they feel like they got the bit in their teeth because of the use of the notwithstanding clause, that this is some sort of an existential fight and it's just not just one union. Yeah, I think I think that I mean, obviously, unions are good at organizing. And I I do think, Matt, that that this is just the time it's taking to organize. And also what you said first about let's just wait and see what happens with this Ontario Labor Labor Relations Board decision that will hopefully come this morning or this afternoon. Listen, might there be a general strike next Monday? Yeah, but there is so much that can happen between now and then first with this decision. And how is the government going to react to that? How is the public going to react to that? How many more um, surveys are we going to have conducted between now and Monday yeah. showing the level of support from the public. Like there's just there's just so much. And that starts with, you know, the premier and Stephen Lecce's um, media availability, whatever they're calling it in the next hour. And then hearing from the unions after that. Let's just let's just wait and see. Although, Mark, too, I have to say, going through some of the briefs this weekend in the argument before the tribunal about whether or not this is a legal strike kind of made my head hurt (laughs) because the two sides are irreconcilable. Yes, it's probably a legal strike, but since the government declared it's illegal, therefore it is illegal. Yeah, well, the government has the ability to pass law, and so they've passed a law, so the statute says... De facto, it's illegal. Whether or not the Labor Relations Board is going to read into common law, uh, you know, something else, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. We'll have to wait and see. But I think if I was a tribunal, not a judge, I would be hesitant 
to try to start making law, uh, which is kind of what's required here. And as far as the other unions, I think if I was one of the other unions, yeah, there's that Pavlovian response. The government seems to be down on one knee. That is, let us all pile on. They've got heaping stacks of cash after two and a half uh, years of uh, no strikes in their war chest. So they're all ready and raring to go. But they each have their own members to look after in upcoming uh, negotiations. And so I don't know that they want to start a war with the government quite yet, and not for this union. This union has bargained poorly. They have, the government's bargained horribly, but yeah. the union has bargained very poorly. They came out with a ridiculous offer that I don't think other unions are gonna wanna die for, and they stuck to it far too long, and and so we are where we are. I, and no one's gonna to like anybody after a general strike, so they'll all lose. Okay, we don't have to go around to everybody for this question, but I, I'm going to start a new round that is drawn on what we've been discussing. And Matt Gurney, maybe I'll start with you. Um, do you think that the government may have made a mistake in invoking the notwithstanding clause? They could have had this tested in the courts, and I appreciate that would fly in the face of a ruling from 2015 at the Supreme Court, but the Supreme Court is not above making new law against itself as well. So, you know, we wouldn't be in this ridiculous bind if they had just said, we're sending you back to work, you want to fight it, take us to court. Yeah, no, I, I think you're onto something there, and I think Mark is onto something as well, and I'm going to pick up the ball that uh, he just had and run with it for a bit. The union and the government, QP and the government, have both negotiated badly, weirdly, whatever you want to call it. QP, I didn't even find QP's wage demands wildly unreasonable. I just think the haste with which they accelerated to strike action sort of provoked a predictable response for the government. But John, to your question, yeah, I think the government here has made two tactical errors. First, I think it, brought, it did bring down the notwithstanding clause faster than it needed to. It would have had it in reserve. Like, it's not going anywhere. And I think everybody who I, I trust on these issues agrees that even if you find the government's use of the notwithstanding clause here unpalatable, it's probably legal. So they could have walked softly and brandished their big stick on this one and not used it right away. I also think the contract they imposed on the union was miserly, it, particularly against the, con uh, the, the, the context of the really, really high inflation. They could have done better. Like They could have come out and said, look, we're not going to give in to the union demands, but we're giving them a generous raise here because we think they've earned it and we'll see what inflation does. Both sides played maximum hardball here. And just to pick up what, what Mark was saying, after a general strike next Monday, we're all going to be even grumpier. John, at the very beginning, you said we're all tired and hungry today. Wait a week. What the government could have done, John, what they should have done, and what I think they still could do, maybe they'll talk about it this morning, is make education an essential service. And they've, there's a there's a roadmap for that. We know how to do that. We know that that's legal. We know that that's constitutional. And that would have avoided all of this trouble. They could have perhaps continued bargaining ad infinitum with everybody back at their at their jobs. And as much as the unions don't necessarily like essential services status, the members love it because they don't like striking. Okay. Well, the premier will. But probably, Mark, do you think yeah. that do you think that he'd be able to get the public support back? 
by by doing that now like it seems like it's just too late for that something that he should probably should have done months ago when we weren't talking about this stuff he's flip-flopped on these kind of things before when the public sentiment says hey your initial yeah. reaction was wrong i think he could do it again i think people would support him he does the the just to jump in yeah. sorry to jump in on you john but i mean i've been talking to my government sources all weekend i know i don't know if this is a live discussion now but i know they have considered it in the past i mean i know this is something that has been looked at i don't even know if it was at the political level so much as the policy level but i know that there are people with inside queen's park who know because they've looked at it what would be involved and what would be the cost of making education essential in the same way that you know firefighters police and transit operators are considered essential okay well speaking of flip-flopping this is from 2018 doug ford unequivocally we won't touch the green belt uh, unlike other governments that so don't listen to people i've heard it loud and clear people don't want me touching the green belt we won't touch the green belt but all my friends i listen to you you don't want me touching the green belt we won't touch the green belt okay and now tamara cherry they're touching the green belt <laughs> you know what the ontario government this past weekend has really been reminding me of ursula at the end of the little mermaid after she turns back into a squid and she's she's got a triton's scepter or whatever it is and she's striking down everything in her path with bolts of lightning like blam the right to strike blam the green belt it's like what what are they going to do next I, I, I'm very interested to see how this one plays out. Okay, the housing minister is going to join us at 8.35 this morning. I have a pretty good feeling, Mark Tui. I know what he's going to say. He's going to say we're in a housing crisis we need to build. But there may also be this suggestion. Well, I mean, actually, it's a bit of a feint and dodge. What they're doing is they're taking away parts of the green belt and then promising land somewhere else that, frankly, happens to be useless for real estate development. Yeah, but I also think we have to kind of remember, and I haven't looked at the specific pieces of land that they're talking about. I'm not sure anybody does because I'm not sure that we know. But I do know that when the Green Belt was, was created, it was created with a very broad, very coarse brush. And so it has captured a lot of land that, quite frankly, is useless for agricultural purposes, or it's completely surrounded by development. And in some cases, it's completely serviced, ready for development. And so the argument during the uh, provincial election campaign over Highway 413, I think it was, you know, people saying, oh, this is going to go over the Green Belt. Yeah, but all of the, the people up there said, this is part of the Green Belt. We can't use for agriculture. We need the transportation. So that was argued by them to be fine. I think, I hope what we'll see here is that the pieces of land they're talking about in the green belt are stuff that farmers couldn't use for anything anyway. And if they can be offset for something that could be used uh, to services the, you know, the environmental aims, then maybe that's a win. Okay. But Matt Gurney, part of the idea for the green belt was not to preserve areas so hippies could go camping. It was to contain urban sprawl. And clearly we're just ready to throw the toweling on that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, you're right. It was to contain herbal, urban uh, sprawl, but it was also to preserve some water tables and uh, to make sure the water supply was secure. I think, and I'm not sure, and I'm self-consciously unsure about this now. I wish I'd um, looked this up over the weekend. I think there have been times before where there have been small green belt adjustments where, for whatever reason, it made sense to remove a small piece of land from the green belt and then add an offsetting piece elsewhere. Uh, 
So I think in theory, I would have an open mind to adjusting the green belt to sort of make sense as times goes on. What I don't have an open mind to is that the government is going to do this in a thoughtful and intelligent way. If they were planning on doing that, they wouldn't have dumped it on a late Friday afternoon in the middle of, well, the, the other fiascos we're currently enduring. Like, <laughs> that's a pretty obvious news dump, not the sign of a really well-considered, thoughtful policy. Almost no time left on the clock, but Tamara Cherry, a poll that came out this weekend suggests Canadians are still pretty enthusiastic about the declaration of the Emergencies Act. Uh, they supported it by a majority at the time, and they continue to in spite of three weeks of testimony at the inquiry. Well, I mean, when you look at who was testifying over the last couple days of last week, that's not really a big surprise. And this is basically from what I read in this poll, this is suggesting that people's minds aren't really being changed. So we've still got more testimony to come, but I suspect that that will be the final outcome. And that, John, I think is why we had a week full of testimony from, you know, 'er ne'er-do-wells and and fools uh, on prime time. I mean, that's why they were there. They made the case, the protesters last week, for the Green for the uh, emergencies act right but and, and and yet had they acquitted themselves differently on the stand and come across differently they probably would have bolstered the idea that the government was you know bringing down the jackboot of oppression on them but they did exactly as was scripted <laughs> catch the round table round one at 7 45 round two at 8 45 weekday mornings on more in the morning news talk 1010 toronto